great to be with you uh, in God's house this morning. Uh, y'all got to be excited. You're going to be out before 12, almost guaranteed, you know, almost. No, you'll be out before 12. Um, wow, it is great to be with you. Christmas approaching um, and uh, counting down the days and realizing what needs to be done in this time span. Um, man, we as a church have been uh, focused over the last two weeks and there today again about discipleship. We're focused in on what it means to be a disciple of Christ and then challenging us to be a part of discipleship and discipleship making. This morning we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, known by most in the Christian circle as the Great Commission. We're going to be talking about the foundation, I believe, of discipleship. Discipleship 101. Some things that have to be in order for discipleship to actually take place. We can think of all the plans and the programs for church. We want to, but we must be disciples of Jesus Christ. So in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Scriptures read like this. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask you once again, God, that you would please take your word, change our lives for an eternal purpose, allow truth to be conveyed this morning, for ears to hear, eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord is doing amongst this church. If there's anyone here, Father, that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day, if you would so choose, to open their eyes to their need. Change them before it's eternally too late. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus Christ has, in this text, is speaking to his disciples almost like some last words before he departs. I don't know about you, but I, I have uh, been over some job sites before. And in charge of some situations and had to leave the job site. But the work needed to continue. And so when I was leaving the job site and knowing the work needed to continue, it always bothered me because I felt like if I was not there, the work was not going to be done and definitely probably was not going to be done right. Jesus Christ is leaving out, but I don't think he's got to worry in the world about whether it's going to be done. We'll talk a little bit more why here in a moment. But he has been intimately walking with a small group of men. There are many others around him at this time, but don't miss the fact that he is intimately dealing with a small group. And I would just say this, discipleship can happen in a lot of situations, but you will always find that a consistent pattern of discipleship making is going to be in small group situations. 
We gather together in corporate worship, and I think we do that rightly. Hebrews tells us to forsake not the assembling together of ourselves, which is the manner of some, but even more so gather together as you see the day approaching. And so we do right, and there is some discipleship that's happening at this moment, but there's no way to do the one-on-one intimate discipleship that God intends for us to do by just meeting in large corporate worship groups. God wants us to intimately meet together as they did even in the early church. The studying the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread from house to house in prayer, and watch God do what He does with the church. So He speaks to them here before He departs. And I believe in this text that you and I could pick out a few things that we can use to lay a foundation so that we understand what discipleship truly is about. And one of them is simply this, that discipleship should be intentional. Discipleship should be intentional. Tom Rainer says that thriving churches have the Great Commission as their centerpiece of their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. In our text he says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When Jesus left out, He did not leave earth without the authority of heaven governing over it. Sometimes in our lives we think that that because chaos seems to reign that God has gone to sleep or God has overlooked something. That that when we think about some of the things we sung of just a moment ago, that, that Jesus, the name of Jesus can break into the lives that are dealing with depression, addiction, that he can, we can speak the name over our families and that God can uh, even cover our families there. Even though they may be going through turmoil, we wonder sometimes where God is because it doesn't seem sometimes like God is at work on this earth. But I'll promise you one thing, the same God that stood foot on the mountain gave his life for us. He's still alive today and he is still working He is sovereign over every situation. He is sovereign over depression. He is sovereign over addiction. He is sovereign over our families. He's sovereign over this service today. He said, all authority has been given to me. He didn't need to be reminded that he had all authority, but isn't it great that he reminded them and reminds us today that he has all authority, not just in heaven. Because sometimes we think that he's just up there. But I remember hearing the old bishop say, he's a God who sits high, but he looks low. And that's the God that I serve. I have to believe that there is not a day nor a night that my God knows about, that he is not overseeing what's going on. He never changes, the Bible says. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he tells his disciples to go. He gives a command, a clear command to them. So when I think about discipleship being intentional, we should be intentional about being disciples ourselves. That you and I ought to be intentional about being disciples. That in order for us to go, we have to have something to go with. Jesus had spent almost three years with so many of the ones that he had there intimately with him. He had invested that time with them and had been training them up. Not that they were done at that point, 
but he was preparing them for them to be able to go. Do you know that you can't take somebody somewhere that you haven't been yourself and teach them something? A lot of times it, when you hear a, a, a message or a lesson or something that God speaks through his spokesperson that is effective for the kingdom of God, he's already preached that message through them before they ever get before anybody else to share that message. That God is always working in us to develop us so that we might be impactful. We must go as disciples ourselves. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I want you to think about that. He said, If anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. I understand the idea behind the little poem, and many of them, many houses have them hanging in it, the, the footprints poem and the footprints in the sand. There's only one set of footprints there. Because why, church? Jesus is carrying you. And I know the text that primarily inspired that poem. In Deuteronomy, it speaks of the fact that God was carrying the children of Egypt. Some translations would say carrying them through the children through the desert as a father carries his youngin, his child. But let me remind you of this. He cared for them as they were going through the desert, and I get the emphasis there, but they walked through the desert. There was never a time as they walked through that desert that there was only one set of footprints. God does not walk beside you. He walks before you. As a matter of fact, in the, in the Old Testament, as he was leading them out, he actually went before them and behind them. He was a light to them by day, I mean by night and a cloud by day. He came between them and their enemies that were trailing behind them. But I don't want you to miss the fact that God is always leading. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth, we are always coming along with him, but he is leading us. He's always, he is the head of the church. And all authority has been given to him. And so as he leads us, I don't believe he'll outpace us. But I think some of us could do well to check the pace in which we're walking. You know, I, I come to believe this. There is a great possibility that you can be a Christian and either be a good disciple or be a poor disciple. That as Christians, we have a responsibility there. We have to be intentional about being disciples. Mark Dever said, the Christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life. So we need to be intentional about being disciples, but we also have to be intentional about making disciples. We don't get to forego this part. And I'm sorry to break the news to you, and I'll tell you why it's so hard on us to understand it and to realize it in just a moment. But we don't get to skirt this. 
He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. He told us to go and make disciples. He didn't say preacher go. He didn't say deacon go. He didn't say Sunday school teacher go or grandma go. He commanded all of us, all of his disciples are to go and make disciples. That you and I have no, no other alternative. Now let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud, but you just take this with you. Have you ever discipled anybody? I'm talking about in the things of the Lord. I was discipled by other people, and I have discipled other people, but it wasn't in the things of the Lord. Y'all all right? I, I know, and it's kind of like I know people that sit around and watch CSI Miami all the time, and they think they're forensic scientists. Can I get a witness? Yeah. I, I, thought, I thought people's court was real until I had to go in a real courtroom. It didn't work like it worked on TV. I, I, I done figured out how to be my own lawyer. It didn't work like that. Did you know that you're being discipled every day of your life by somebody or something? But you also are discipling other people. You're teaching them to either do nothing or to do something. Or somewhere in between. But what are you doing with your time? See, Jesus commanded us that we are to make disciples. Let me read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 for you. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Our text in Matthew chapter 28, it literally means that we are to go as we're going. We are to go do these things as we are going in life. And that is justified even in the text in Deuteronomy that we just, we just read. That all throughout our day, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're out on a date, don't make no difference. Wherever you are, you and I are to be going as we go, making disciples and being disciples ourselves. That the Word of God is supposed to be with us all through the day. When we walk in the house, when we walk out the house, when we walk into work, when we walk out of work. When we walk through town, when we walk out of town. When we tuck our kids into bed at night. When we, when we rise up, when we lay down. And all through the day, in the private places and in the public places, you and I are to be making disciples. We are to be disciples, but we are to make disciples. Kevin DeYoung said, to produce godly mature Christians, we need godly mature Christians. And did you know that if you're a child of God today, and I'll leave that, if you are a child of God today, that you have everything in you it takes to make disciples, but also to be a disciple. When he said, all authority has been given to me, that power there, did you know that Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, if you're a child of God, and in me. I've read about a lot of things that are powerful. Atomic bombs, 
rockets that can blast through the atmosphere. And I'm trying to remember, but I think it was 14,000 pounds of thrust. And I like power. Amen? I like getting in my vehicle and mashing the gas and that thing sitting me back in the seat. Can I get a witness? But that stuff ain't nothing. See, I serve a God that spoke the mountains into existence. When the disciples were on the sea and the boat was rocking, the wind was raging, and all the storms, they, they thought they were going to drown. What happened? They woke him up and he spoke one or two words, or three, excuse me, peace be still. But peace is the word I'm thinking about. And the waters laid down, the winds went back into the chambers, and everything was made better. See, I serve a God that's so powerful that there's one word out of his mouth and things change. Did you know that that same God lives inside of you? That doesn't mean that you have the power to speak and make mountains. And don't you ever think that you do because there's only one that has the power to make those changes. It says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It didn't say it was you. But hear my heart. That power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives inside of you cares about you. Walks with you and talks with you. Leads you through this life that we live in. And is there for you to call out, yes, the name of Jesus. I have seen, <laughs> I've been at a drug dealer's house, well, at a, the house of somebody that owed a drug dealer some money with my pastor one time. And the people was coming to collect. We was trying to get him on a bus so we could take him to a men's conference. And the people that was coming to collect the money, and they wasn't too happy about how much he owed them. My pastor said that at the name of Jesus Christ, every devil of hell has to leave this place. Do you know what they did? They scoured back off into the woods where they came from. All I'm trying to tell you is that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a God in heaven. And there is power for the disciple of Jesus Christ to be a godly Christian. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 He says, In these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you know that if you're a child of God, you should be a faithful man or a faithful woman of God to where God can entrust you with the ability to teach others just as you have been taught by somebody else are being taught. And you should continually be a disciple as you even make disciples. None of us have ever arrived. Who's taught you? And what did they teach you? Because you see, that's important as well. Not only do we need to be intentional about discipleship, being a disciple, making a disciple. Discipleship should maintain integrity. Integrity is a word that we don't really see a whole lot of action from anymore. We live in a world today where integrity is falling to the wayside at an alarming rate. Integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, even when it ain't fun. You know, 
Integrity in general has been lost, but integrity within the church family has been lost as well. I think one reason that integrity has waned so much, well, let me read this for you. John MacArthur said, Morality apart from the living Christ can never be more than a sham. And the more it is relied upon, the more dangerous it becomes. That far too often we have tried to polish up pagans in the church instead of disciple Christians. That one reason the world does not see the integrity that comes with the conviction, conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, and that's what the Holy Spirit was given to us for. So many people think the Holy Spirit was given to them so that they could get goosebumps on every service. And if they don't get the goosebumps, they go hunt a service where they can get the goosebumps. And let me just say this, don't blame the Holy Spirit on them goosebumps. I got goosebumps at a Leonard Skinner concert in the 80s. I seen my wife all dressed up ready for a date just the other night and got some goosebumps. Can I get a witness? See, that's feelings. That's flesh. And just because you get excited about something, your body lets loose of something that just causes you to get some goosebumps or some, your hair raises up, that don't mean it's God. The Bible tells us why the Holy Spirit come. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit come to convict men of sin and to teach us train us. So that's why the Holy Spirit's here. I remember taking the young men at Batcave Baptist Church in the youth department. We did one weekend with the ladies, one with the guys. Wanted to just teach them how to be godly Christians in this world do, doing the practical things of life. You know? Uh, so with the guys, we, uh, we had one task, it was toward the end, set up. And thank, thankfully, we were up in the mountains, and I had some folks that had the resources and the knowledge to be able to do something like it used to be done way back in the day. We was going to cut a load of firewood, but we didn't have no skill chainsaws, no Husqvarna's, none of that stuff. Didn't have no splitting wood splitter with a gas engine running it. Nope, we had a set of saw bucks to lay the logs on. And a crosscut saw. I had it sharpened up for him. I had an old timer up there. He got it sharpened up good for him. And a splitting wedge and a maul. We got down there. He said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to cut some firewood. Well, y'all go cut some firewood. We're going to watch. Well, we watched for about a quarter of the load, and then they was done. And we had to step in and help work with them and finish it out. Everybody's all done. They're sitting around there panting, sucking water bottles down like you can't believe. And I told him, I said, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to have a family. You're going to have that family. And I said, you're going to get up one morning early to go to work. And you're going to have a fever. You ain't going to feel good. Your head's going to be pounding. And I said, but let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to look down the hallway and you see them bedrooms and see your wife there with you. You're going to get your rear end up out of the bed and put your clothes on and go to work. I said, because every day don't feel good. Every day don't feel like a day that you want to go do something. Every day don't feel like a day I want to serve the Lord. But integrity pushes on. Integrity, if we had integrity, we wouldn't have foster homes. If we had integrity, we wouldn't have 
kids needing backpacks to eat at schools. The church of God had integrity. People wouldn't point a finger and say, look at them hypocrites to go there. You see, we're not in the business of making great pagans. A pagan's a lost person. A pagan's somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Now, I want you to understand something. You can't take a man and make him great in the eyes of the Lord. Only God can do that. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus by night. Now, you've got to understand something about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, he was a dedicated man. As a matter of fact, you couldn't find a much more dedicated man in all of Israel. Nicodemus was a leader of the people. Not just any people, he was a ruler of the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a dedicated man. Came to Jesus by night. He's trying to figure out the answers to things because everything he was dedicated to never gave him the answers to the, what life was all about. Jesus answered the question before he ever verbally answered, asked the question himself. Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It literally means born from above. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That if you, any man be in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But see, what happens is if we take somebody that's lost, although they may be a family member, they may have grown up in the church, they may have prayed a prayer, gone through a baptistry just to make mom and daddy happy or grandma happy or whoever happy. I made a preacher happy one Well, I made grandma happy one time. I made a preacher happy to oh, my wife. Well, I made me happy, I think, the next time. But none of that was salvation. <clears throat> there was kids coming down to the altar. My grandma was crying. I was about nine years old. She was crying. Kids was coming down there doing something with the preacher. Shoot, I won't make grandma happy too. So I went down. I can't say that I remember anything about what we talked about when we went down there. A couple weeks later, I got baptized or I got dunked in this tank. Grandma cried then too. Didn't nothing change. And them Sunday school teachers and them youth directors and my mom and daddy and my grandmama tried to polish a pagan. For a lot of years. Don't do this. Don't do that. Quit doing this. Son, my mama had highway patrol on speed dial. I was listening to Brock yesterday tell me a little bit about how grateful he was to God for, and didn't know why God spared him. And my mind went back to about 1989, between 1989, well, it was 1990, I'm sorry. Where I'm from, back in the day, they had dumpsters sitting outside the road, green dumpsters. People go throw the trash in. That was the recycling center back in the day, except there wasn't nobody there checking your sticker. You know, there was people... And there was people crawling there and get stuff out, and didn't nobody say nothing to them. And I remember one morning about 11, about 1.30 in the morning, waking up. My truck was pulled 
two, two tires over the white line on, on the road. I was about five miles from where I had left a party. Some friends of mine woke me up. And, and those places had been there so long and so much trash and stuff. There's glass and all kind of stuff out there. My, my, my midsection to my feet was in the truck. The rest of me was laying in a pool of vomit with glass on my cheek, cutting me. I'd done passed out. I pulled over to throw up from drinking at that party. And he's sitting there telling me about his story, and I was, I'm, I'm thankful to God for what he was doing in his life. But I was sitting there thinking to myself, they put me over in the passenger seat of my truck, drove me home. I'll never forget. I've told this story so many times. 1 30 in the morning, Grandma's lights on. She's in there praying with her Bible open that I would come home safe. They brought me into the house and laid me in the bed. Oh, after we washed my face off and laid me in the bed, I heard the light click off. Thank you, Lord. She went to sleep. And I wonder, God, why? Why did you spare me? You can't make a godly man out of a pagan. I was going to get married. The preacher said, the preacher at the church where Christy went, wasn't going to marry two unbelievers. Ain't no problem, cuz. Sign me up for whatever you want to sign me up for, man. I'm getting married. Prayed another prayer. Went through another baptistry. Got drunk that night. And on all the way into five years of that marriage, she walked out the door because she had enough. It took God to change me. No matter how much my mama cried, no matter how much my grandmama cried and begged, they can't change you. Only a sovereign God that can move mountains and calm seas can change the human heart. And he did it. August of 1999, we were married in 94. Somebody was saying six, we watched the Lottery Dream Home. Everybody here knows that. Six numbers that'll change your life. I told her, I said, I know six numbers changed. No, no, it's eight numbers. I'm sorry, eight. No, I don't play it. So eight numbers. That don't mean I'm better than you because I don't. Hey, but if you'd win, come holler at me. <laughs> Y'all okay? Eight numbers. I said, oh, four. Three zero one nine nine four. That's when I got married. But let me tell you, August of 1999 did more than that ever did. That's the day that God transformed my life. And since then, He ain't been trying to polish up a pagan no more. He's been transforming a human life. And only God can do that. So let me just say this today. 
if all you have to profess in your Christianity is that you don't do some things that you used to do because you're trying not to do them, and that's it, I want to introduce you to a man named Jesus. Because there's a lot of people out here that are a part of organizations, some of them even a part of churches, and all they're doing is trying to be good people. But that's not what God's after. God is after godly people, holy people, and only He can do that. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus thought so much of it, He even quoted it back to the devil in the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 4. But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That you and I, listen, we should maintain the integrity of the end goal. The integrity of the end goal is that you and I be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That is the goal. The goal is not for you to be happy. The goal is for you to be holy. There's so many people out here propagate a lie. The only reason God's here is for you to be happy. As a matter of fact, I heard... Uh, Victoria Olstein, Joel Olstein's wife, say, and I got it on my phone recorder. If you want to hear it, I'll play it for you. Said that you're not really here to worship God. And when you worship, you're not really here for God. This is what she said. When you're here, here to worship, you're not really here for God. You're here for you. Are you kidding me? Here for me? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Him. No. We're not here for us. We're here for Him. Our lives are to bring glory to Him. Glory. That our lives would honor Him. Bring glory to Him. And what brings glory to Him is being obedient to Him. How will they know that you are my disciples? That you do what I say. How are you going to do what He says? The Holy Spirit of God's going to convict you to do it. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God convicting you to do it, you'll do what men do. As a matter of fact, let's just go ahead and get, get there to the last spot. We should also maintain the integrity of the assigned curriculum. Can't stress this enough. The assigned curriculum. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Can I share with you what one of the greatest problems I believe is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these days? Y'all ever heard the story of the woman that cut the end off the ham and put it in the pot? If you hadn't, I'll share it with you. If you have, just bear with me for a moment. This lady and her daughter's cooking for a holiday. Mama cuts the end of the ham off, puts it in the pot. And the daughter asked the question, Mama, why you cut the end of the ham off and put it in the pot? Oh, well, that's what my mama did. Well, Grandma was in the other room, so they went in the other room. 
Grandma, why did you, why you cut the end off the ham? She said, because it wouldn't fit in my pot that I had. So I cut it, cut it off. I'm afraid that that illustration is what's wrong with the church. You ever heard of accumulating tolerances? Accumulating tolerances is when you replicate something over and over again, but you don't go back to the standard, and after a while, the tolerance grows. My daddy taught me this lesson when I was a young man, probably around 10 years old, 9, 10 years old. Daddy used to be a cabinet maker and carpenter at a point in his life and kept up those skills for a good many years. And I ended up becoming a, a tool and dime maker. And it was a really good lesson for me to learn right off the bat. We was building a 12 by 24 deck on the back of a 17 by 80 single wide mobile home. Now you go tell me something. That's high class what I'm talking about. Our deck was bigger than the house. Hey, when you live in a single wide, you just got to have a way to get outside and get a breath. Can I get a witness? <laughs> we had to cut a lot of boards to build that deck. A lot of them needed to be the same size. He cut one, measured one, cut one, and he wrote pattern on it. And he laid it over to the side. We cutting. I pick up a board that he cut to use to mark the next board. And he said, uh-uh, son. Can't do that. He said, if we do that, sooner or later, they're going to all be different lengths. He said, you got to use the pattern. That way they'll all be the same. You see, what I think the problem in the Christian church today is, we've gotten away from the pattern. Listen to what he says. You think I'm off the text, but I want you to listen to me just a moment. Listen, listen to the scripture. Matthew 28, listen to 18, 19, and 20 once again. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Pattern. Did you know that Jesus walks this world today? He's walking on this stage right now. Not me. But this, if you walked in with the Bible today, Jesus walked in here. I know the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. I get all that, but I want you to focus in on what I'm trying to say. You want to hear God talk? I'll let you hear God talk. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You just heard the word of the Lord. Luke 6, 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That train up a child in the way that it should go, and you won't depart from it. One of two things just might have happened as to that, if that doesn't come to be. Because that's the Word of God. It should be true, don't you think? Maybe, just maybe, the child wouldn't talk. Can I just say this? It ain't the school system's job to train your children. And it ain't the church's job to disciple them primarily. It's your job. If you don't know the Word of God, you can't teach the Word of God. If you don't live the Word of God before your children and teach it to them, then guess what? They'll never be able to claim that verse. They'll never have it. Or maybe... You did try to teach them some, but you taught them wise fables. Things that you heard when you grew up 
In other words, it's the whole cutting the end of the ham off and putting it in the pot. Told the story of the last service. She's here this service, but I won't point her out too bad. We got a, a lady in the church and told this story a lot in the church too. <clears throat> I'd been here for a few years and a lady who had never wore pants to church come by the kitchen one day down there in the fellowship hall, half door. She opened that door and stuck her leg in. She had a pair of pants on. I told her, I said, you best get your rear end back to the house. She said, I feel like my mama's going to whoop me. She said, but wow, it is freeing to know what the Word of God says and not what mama says. Uh, let me just throw this in there for you for uh, just a thought. You don't have Marilyn Monroe moments when you got pants on. Can I get a witness? <laughs> or at least, well, let's, well, let me just stop there. <laughs> Y'all have to Google it. If you don't know who Marilyn Monroe is, you can, you can Google it. <coughs> Better yet, no, don't. Don't do that. I did not tell you to Google Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning, to the, concerning the faith. In other words, just because the preacher says it, just because grandma says it, just because a Sunday school teacher says it, just because somebody on TV says it, you best check it by the pattern. You best, and if you have the pattern in your heart, you ain't got to go very far. The Spirit of the living God will bear witness within you as to whether it is a, of God. So let me ask you a question. i ask you a couple, couple questions here. Whose disciple are you? Who, whose disciple are you? Because, once again, you're being discipled by somebody. And I know we all have to learn things in life. I get that. But who is teaching you the things of life? Right and wrong and the like. What, what kind of disciple are you? Are you a good disciple? Mediocre disciple? Bad disciple? And I think it's a fair question. And I'm not sitting up here pointing fingers. Tell it, don't, don't look at me. Go to the pattern. You see, because that's where we mess up, isn't it, so often? Well, I'd just love to be like so-and-so. If so-and-so ain't Jesus, then you're barking up the wrong tree. What kind of disciple do you desire to be? Do you have desires? Do you, do you desire to live godly? Do you desire to be more like Christ? Then what's it going to take? What does it take? I've heard this said, and I, I believe there's a, good, a lot of truth in it, that the only way you're ever going to truly be an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ 
is not to try to put Jesus somewhere on your calendar that you already have. Jesus is a God of first fruits. I think he's, the guy's right when he said you take a blank calendar, you put Jesus on the calendar, and then you pull everything else in around it. I'll just try to get, I've got work, I'll just try to get up a little extra early and do my devotions. Or I'll do them when I get home. On the contrary, saying, I'm going to give this time to God, and after that I'll go to work. We've got a thing that we're fixing to, uh, we're challenging everybody with, and today's the first time I actually said anything about a sign-up sheet, but I want you to pray about it. As a matter of fact, if it takes you two months to pray about it, make sure you pray about it before you make a decision. But we're starting these things called D-groups. Now, that don't mean that you've got to be in a D-group to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that's something that we're offering as a discipleship track here. Sign-up sheet out there. You can go online, the website, the church app, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to... I barely know how to get to the website. That's because I got a link on my phone. I don't know nothing about the church app. Ask somebody else about that because they put it on my phone. I didn't even do it myself. So, But you can sign up there. We'll organize people into D groups, men in groups, women in groups. No more than six people. But it's a commitment, and you got it on in your thing, your handouts. You can read about it. But five chapters out of the Bible every week. Read five chapters, Monday through Friday. Got weekend to catch up. You memorize one verse of Scripture each week. 52 verses in a year. But one a week. Then, you journal. As you're reading the chapter, if some, a verse stands out to you, you highlight that verse. How does that, what does that verse, what do you think that verse means? And here's the thing. The, the teacher in these groups is the Bible. I just want to throw that out there. The teacher in these groups is really the Bible. There's a facilitator there, but there's really not a leader there. There's the, the, Christ is the head. But, but anyhow, you, 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 you write some things. That, what is it, how does it apply to my life? And, and what's my response? You know, God, after I've read this, how am I going to respond to this? It's almost like a prayer. And you do that for 12 months. 12-month commitment. And so during that 12 months, you meet, your group meets once a week, about an hour, sometimes a little, a little bit more, but try to keep it close to an hour. And you just let the Bible read you more than you're reading the Bible. The Bible's reading you. And you're sharing life, applying it with each other. How is this impacting me? How is that impacting you? You say, well, I... I sounds real simple I think we have made discipleship too complicated and we've strayed away listening to other people's I'll never forget Kenneth writings drilling into us boys at Fruitland he said son never ever 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 leave the Word of God to go to another man's opinion about the Word of God until God has spoken to you from the Word of God so nothing nothing against anybody, but I don't need Priscilla Shirey to tell me what God's Word means if I just read the thing myself. I don't need David Platt to tell me, I thank God for these people, nothing wrong, but I'm just telling you, if you rely on somebody else to give you spoon-fed all the time, 
You'll never be a disciple nor make disciples. So you pray about that um, and, and just, you know, how God would work in your life. And let me throw this out there for sure. Are you a child of God? Are you saved? Because if you're not saved, then if God's speaking to you today, you see, because Jesus' own message himself, written in red, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We repent, believe, confess, and follow. That's the gospel presentation. Repent because all men are guilty before God. We are depraved. We're, we're, we're sinful. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. We believe in the finished works of Jesus Christ on the cross. They buried him, and on the third day he arose. And he's alive today. We confess him as the Lord of our lives and we follow him just as he said, come and follow me. We do that. The Bible says he transforms us, changes us, gives us the Holy Spirit. And you'll get all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to need or ever going to have at that time. All things that pertain to life and godliness. So are you lost? If God's speaking to you today, why don't you come to, come to Christ? Let's stand for just a, just a moment. We'll sing a verse or so. This altar is always open. But if you today know that you're lost, you need somebody to lead you in anything there, I will be here till the last person leaves. You can come during this time of invitation. That's fine. Maybe you want to pray. That, these, this altar is always open. Folks will pray with you. The most important thing is you do business with God before it's too late. If God's drawing on your heart. And I encourage you. God can do incredible things in and through you. If you'll just give him all of you. Fathers, we come to this time, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would take your word once again. Do what we cannot do for an eternal purpose that brings glory and honor to you. In Christ's name, amen.